As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's Straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. Coming up. Another Chelsea game featuring a four-goal haul. We'll analyse the surrender at St James's, discuss discipline and bring better news from the women's team. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight out of Cobham. Oh dear, it's a bit of a miserable Monday, isn't it, listener? Can't ever just be on an even keel. It's either got to be feast or famine. It would seem. Don't worry, we're here to help you through it all. It is me, Matt Davis-Adams, and we are back to full strength today, which means that I've got the two athletic Chelsea experts on board with me. Hello, Liam Toomey. Back to full strength and back to square one. Hello. <laughs> Very good. Simon Johnson's also here. How are you doing, Simon? I feel a bit like uh, Benoit Badishil. Like I've, I've taken a while to get back. I'm not fully fit, actually, yet, but I'm neither performing very well. We can also see on your screen that you're marking nobody. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that Reese James was more Malo Gusto on Saturday. Um, the translation of Malo Gusto, of course, being I don't like it. Anyway, we will get on to the Newcastle game soon enough. But first of all, we've got to mention Terry Venables passed away. It was announced on Sunday at the age of 80. Uh, many people of mine and Liam's generation know him as the, the man who nearly took England to glory at Euro 96. But he made more than 200 appearances for Chelsea between 1959 and 1966. He scored 31 goals played a key role in Chelsea's return to the top flight in 1963 and he lifted the League Cup as captain a couple of years after that as well. Uh, The tribute on the official Chelsea website described Venables as a great talent and one of the most charismatic players ever to represent the Blues. Um, That's quite a tribute, Simon, and something that's worthy of somebody who's a significant figure in in not just English football, but Chelsea history too. Yeah, he was, um, you know, we we, we talk about academy products and in recent years you know how much that's been lauded but you go back to the 60s and um chelsea had this rich conveyor belt of of youth products and he was part of a really exciting group of youngsters under tommy doherty doherty's diamonds i think they're referred to quite a lot and they came close to to winning the league title um he did win the league cup with chelsea um their first 
major domestic cup trophy, not the league, obviously, but they they won the old league cup. I think it was about the third year that it of its existence. But of course, most of us remember him um, for his managerial exploits, and those of us lucky enough to be around as England fans. Uh, Euro '96. I was 21 then, and it was a, a special summer. I'll never forget, everyone always goes on about the, the Holland or the Netherlands game, which we all thought was going to be a bit of a dead rubber in the group, that the, the two teams would play out a sort of one-all draw sort of thing and, and just both serenely go through to the knockout stage. But no, not not with Terry Venables and, um, and his way of playing, which I think was... Surely influenced by the way he was brought up as a player at, at Chelsea and um, that memorable 4-1 win whilst we got to the semi-finals and it was a nearly another nearly moment for England. Um, that 4-1 win kind of felt like a trophy in itself because of the way we played that day. Yeah, lots of tributes to Terry Venables from around the world of football and the ones that really stand out are those that talk about his abilities as a coach. Uh, but Liam, I think he was maybe, oh well, obviously more associated with Tottenham because he went on to manage them, but he feels very Chelsea of the swinging 60s to me. You know, he, he had his nightclub, didn't he? He liked a, he liked a song, he could do a turn. He was, he was more than just a football man. Yeah, he was. And he also had uh, a great affection for Spain and Spanish culture, which earned in the nickname El Tel. And just a really interesting guy, I think, uh, and a really interesting career path, particularly as a coach. You know, to go from Queen's Park Rangers to Barcelona, I don't think that's a, a well-trodden pathway before or since. And to achieve what he did there, you know, there, there's probably an argument that he should have got the England job earlier and had it for longer, given what he nearly achieved at 96 and his status in the game. But... Given that Euro 96 is pretty much the first international tournament that I can remember, I'll always have good memories of that. And uh, yeah, and he, and he's very much tied up with that as the sort of... He, he always felt like quite a laid-back coaching figure, uh, very much of the time. Maybe that group had a reputation of being a bit too laid-back going into the tournament and that fed into expectations. Yeah, that just kind of all adds to the nostalgia of that particular competition for me. All right. Well, that is Terry Venables, a significant figure in English football and in Chelsea's history too. I'm sure that his life will be remembered at the Brighton game on Sunday. All right. After this, we'll head to Tyneside. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. James, we might have let Anthony Gordon in here. And Rhys James is already on a yellow card for kicking the ball away earlier. 
and Reese James is sent off. Four goals in the Premier League this season, Anthony Gordon. Make that five. Newcastle four, Chelsea one. And I have to say, yet again, that is just way too easy. Way too easy. I think it was so easy in the way that we conceded, in the way that we were we were so soft in every single challenge. I think, you know, we didn't show that that we were playing for something important. That is is what why make me angry and disappointed. And even if we talk about that we are a young team and we need to learn, yeah, I think this type of games um, made me very, 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 very angry. From one former England manager to another, what was it Sven Euron Eriksson used to say? First half good, second half not so good. Uh, if one were to put it mildly, that could be how you'd analyse Chelsea's performance against Newcastle on Saturday. Let's hear from Simon at St James's. It's been a rather humbling experience at St James's Park here for Chelsea. About 10 minutes ago when the final whistle actually blew, the players uh, briefly uh, after their token wave at the few away fans that had remained, it was very noticeable how they all walked off as individuals, no one talking to each other. And I think that sort of summed up their performance, especially defensively. It was weak, it was feeble, it was that soft underbelly that I referred to earlier in the season after they conceded two goals late on against Arsenal. But this was, this was bad and, and, and you do sort of wonder, when will the real Chelsea stand up? They, uh, they take a step forward and then they take a step back again. But this was a significant step backwards. Newcastle didn't have to work that hard to score their goals and this is a common problem as far as uh, Pochettino's Chelsea are concerned. They look too easy to get at and when the momentum swings against them as it did in this match there was very little f resistance. Four goals, it could have been more quite frankly with some of the defending that took place and the frustration was they got to half-time at 1-1, Raheem Sterling with a, with a sublime free kick, and they were still in the game. Despite the uh, fragility of their defence, they looked like they could pose a problem every time they went forward themselves, even though it wasn't uh, on regular occasions. Newcastle were worried, but the, the manner of the second half was, was abysmal. And, It'll be interesting to see, obviously I'm talking before Pochettino's press conference, but that, that's six games without a clean sheet, 16 goals conceded in those games. And of course one of those, uh, I'm talking Premier League only, but one of those was against Spurs and of course they were reduced to, to nine men. So if Chelsea are to remotely threaten for one of the European places, they're going to have to try and become a lot more of a cohesive unit, a solid unit than this, because otherwise this inconsistent form will only continue and they will end up looking back on a season that, that might have been. But there's still an element, I think, of this team not looking like a team yet, that there's far too many still forming relationships. One step forward, two steps back might be a little bit generous there, Simon. At halftime, it was looking all right, wasn't it? What happened after the restart? Well, I, in a way, I beg to differ in the sense that, 
yes, going forward, things change. But I thought defensively, there'd been a lot of uncertainty. They looked rattled any time Newcastle went forward. So in a way, that, that just continued, really. It was shocking just to see, though, the complete lack of fight, the complete lack of composure. I mean, the real killer was the was the third goal. Thiago Silva did not have his best afternoon in a blue shirt. And it, it was a really costly mistake because, you know, instead of instead of sort of feeling like there was an outside chance, uh, still a chance of getting back in the game at 2-1, you know, seconds later, you're 3-1 down. And and there was this there of resignation about the place. Then, of course, Reese James gets sent off and it, and it really was game over. But I, I think it was best summed up by Pochettino's press conference, quite frankly. I mean, I, I haven't seen him that angry since he joined the club. Yes, there have been moments, and this is why, why I decided to write about it for my match piece because it did feel like a, a line in the sand kind of moment that after months of of going easy on his players a little bit and only occasionally hitting out at their sort of all needing to be nastier or a bit meaner or a bit more mature, this was sort of the gloves off and, and, and all his angst coming out and, and saying they didn't compete in various forms. He said that word 11 times in the space of seven minutes. And, and I think that sort of summed up how Chelsea performed. That it was, I think he was basically saying, oh, the players sort of felt, well, oh, they've turned up against Man City. Then they're still basking in that performance. But a top team goes and does it again. And and that's been the problem with this Chelsea side this season. Um, and it's not just game per game, it's within games. They can have a good spell, but it can be followed by a complete, switching off period and that's what we saw on Saturday starting with the opening goal quite frankly because they'd actually made a reasonable start it was quite even and then how can you leave Newcastle centre forward completely unmarked in the penalty area and if you actually if you drew one of those lines of Chelsea's back line defensive line it was all over the place and you know Cucurella's about five, ten yards behind Silver and Baddy Shield. It was just a complete horror show. And um, yeah, it does feel like we're back to the, the drawing board. But I think that's the kind of ride that we, we, we've got to be ready to be on. It's going to be up and down, I think, all the way till May. A couple of tweets before we bring Liam in. Damien says that second half was diabolical. Chris, just when I thought I was starting to enjoy this season, the Chelsea of old comes back. Yes, there'll be ups and downs. However, this team still has awful performances in it. Pathetic lack of experience and leadership still apparent. Um, Louis, a little bit more balanced, says these performances are going to happen with such an inexperienced team still coming together. Probably what's going to stop us getting a top six place this season. Breaking up a successful CB partnership clearly wasn't the right move. Uh, Liam, what did you think of that when we saw the team and Axel Dizazi was out and Benoit Badiashil was in? Kukure uh, left back. We know Colwell had had a bit of an injury issue, but um, it was a gamble from Poch and it didn't really pay off. Well, the first thing I have to say is I didn't watch this game live because I was at a wedding. So I watched it in full last night, knowing the result, which is oh, kind of God. like watching a disaster movie. <laughs> yeah, because you know you know the storm's coming. You're just not sure exactly what form it will take and what it will look like when it hits. Yeah, it, it looked to me like the lack of chemistry in defence only exacerbated the mental lapses. 
Baddy Ashiel, I think you know, I think we've been very complimentary about him since he arrived at Chelsea when we've had a chance to see him on the pitch. By and large, he's been very good. But he was atrocious for three of the four goals. And when you look at the first goal, it kind of sums up everything that, that Chelsea suffered from generally, because I think Kukurea got a lot of the attention for playing everyone on side. But the problems start when for some reason, Leslie Ogachukwu gets drawn back into the defensive line and Lewis Miley has about 15 yards of space around him to receive the ball on the edge of the box. Then Ogachukwu and Badia Shield both charge at him rather than thinking about anywhere he might pass the ball to. If you look at the replay, Kukurea is about half a yard behind Thiago Silva, but both of them are just standing completely still. They're certainly not pushing up trying to play offside. And so Isaac, it's so easy for him to peel into a little bit of space and create an angle for Miley to play that pass. You know, I think Lewis Miley actually looks like a really good young player, but he got maybe a little bit too much praise for that passing read. Uh, it wasn't exactly, it didn't have to be Chavi and Yester level vision to spot a wide open pass in front of you when two players are, are charging at you, but not close enough to actually put any pressure on you. So it was just bad from the start. and. You know, they went through stretches of the game where they were they were okay, but the the goals, I think, and I, I very much agreed with with Pochettino when he said this afterwards. The goals, I think, were the, were like the worst standard that Chelsea have conceded all season, pretty much because the the Lascelles header as well. You know, it's it's a it's a short free kick that they just work from right to left Newcastle, pretty much the only free kick they took short. And he runs across the front of the Chelsea line. And we we actually saw this a bit against Tottenham, didn't we? Of, of Chelsea just not reacting to runners when either balls or, or set pieces come into the box. And no one moves with him. They're all just marking their own areas. And he just overloads Kukurea at the back post. Baddy Shield doesn't go with him. Silver doesn't go with him. And, and it's just... You cannot defend at that level and expect to get anything against anyone in the Premier League, let alone a team as talented and well-coached and physically intense as Newcastle. And then the silver era for me is just kind of icing on the cake. It's about the third or fourth time he's done that in his Chelsea career, either under hit a pass or let the ball run up, run under his foot. It doesn't happen very often, but every time it does, it's just an absolute killer for the entire team. And to speak of Chelsea's lack of intensity generally, they've had enough experiences at St. James's Park recently to know that the bare minimum you need to get any kind of result there is to match their physical intensity. And instead, Chelsea just fell into this weird netherworld where they weren't they weren't actually making Newcastle feel them, but they still committed 19 fouls. And most of them were silly fouls where they were just giving Newcastle players a chance to go down and Kieran Trippier opportunities to put balls into their box. And we know how weak Chelsea are at set pieces. So... It just wasn't a, wasn't a clever performance in any way. They didn't have the energy to compete. And that ultimately, I think, was the one Pochettino kept coming back to was was compete. And they didn't do it well enough to, to do anything really in the Premier League. Yeah, we can't really use the international break as an excuse when uh, Newcastle had the likes of Guimaraes and Joel Linton away in, in South America as well. Uh, lots of people asking us about the defence and uh, Chelsea's vulnerability at set pieces and from crosses, something which may be 
uh, affected Pochettino's Tottenham as well. Uh, that's something to be worked on. Simon, uh, I mean, it is because there's only three clean sheets in 13 Premier League games this season. But I think we also need to talk about Chelsea's disciplinary issues, don't we? Because we had Sterling and James, both booked for kicking the ball away. I call that dissent. Liam's not sure. Either way, it's a yellow card for something that's not a foul. Mauricio Pochettino couldn't be on the touchline because he's had three bookings this season. Um, Simon, we know that officials are, are clamping down on dissent slash kicking the ball away, etc. But this is a, becoming a real issue for Chelsea, isn't it? I mean, they lost their captain due to it on Saturday and, and the manager couldn't affect things from the touchline. Yeah, and it's one of the things I flag in, in again, my match piece is that Pochettino didn't really criticise Rhys James' red card that much. He just said he was disappointed. But there's a reason why he can't criticise Rhys James too much because he's been punished for not being able to behave himself. I mean, it's ridiculous that your head coach has been booked three times already. No one had clocked it, by the way, until he dropped it in his press conference in the written section on Friday, which I'm not sure how well that reflects on everyone in the media that none of us realised he was suspended, which is a first. And and the way it was dropped was... um, he was asked about a great interview in the Telegraph by Matt Law uh, with Nicholas Jackson, and and he he talked about how Pochettino essentially made him go for a run instead of fining him for getting five yellow cards. So anyway, it was then put to Pochettino, why did you do this, etc. And he went, oh, it's why I'm going to be taking the players out for dinner, or I'm going to host a barbecue as a as a sorry for the fact I, I'm suspended, and because his English is a little bit. It can be a bit broken. Sometimes he can say things he doesn't mean to say or he clumsily says something that no one was particularly sure whether he was, you know, what he was on about. And then Chelsea confirmed he was suspended. But getting back to the point, he needs to sort his behaviour out, obviously, because being up in the stands is not good. Reese James needs to sort his behaviour out. He's the captain. He's got to set the bar. And we're talking about a guy here who was suspended when not even playing in a game this season because of his reaction towards the referee after the Villa defeat. He also misses too many games, Simon, already to miss games through suspension. When you're injured as much as he is, you can't afford that. Maybe it's his cunning part of his cunning plan to sort of give his body a rest so he doesn't get injured again. It'd be an alternative method of um, making sure you don't go into the red zone by going into the red zone and getting uh, sent off. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, his two yellow cards were the epitome of, of cheap and needless. The first one, kicking the ball away. The second one, he actually, unusually for him, sort of miscontrolled a little bit um, ball and Anthony Gordon nipped in and Anthony Gordon then did what Anthony Gordon does. He felt the slightest touch, let's just say. I mean, Reese James... He made the motion to pull him back. I'm not sure he actually did pull him back, but that was enough. I felt like Anthony Gordon basically did what Sterling did in the first half. I agree. The free you. kick he scored from and what Sterling was subsequently booed for the entire yeah, yeah. game for. Absolutely. In fairness, it was kind of karma because it, it was like an action replay at the sort of same end as well. But yeah, and then... It was noticeable, actually, that Rhys James didn't even protest, which is probably a good thing in this day and age of um, respect for referees. Uh, Rhys James sort of went, yeah, fair enough, just walked straight off. But 
like I said at the start, going down to ten men, then then it really was um, game over, and and now he's serving a another game ban. So discipline, yes, it has to be sorted out. But I think it's a very long list of things that needs to be sorted out, Matt. Before before we can start to trust this Chelsea team, I'm now going into games like Saturday beforehand. I don't know what Chelsea I'm going to see. You know, people going, oh, what do you think the score's going to be? And you just don't know because you just don't know what Chelsea team are going to turn up. And and that will continue, I think, for a while. Yeah, James definitely had a big problem with, with Anthony Gordon. Simon and I in the press box were right by that one-on-one duel in the first half. And there were a couple of times where James looked like he was running at about 50% of his capacity against him. And you, you wonder if it's just in his head a little bit that he doesn't want to injure himself. He got a forearm smash from, I think, Joel Linton as well, just before half time, which Jason Tindall enjoyed, which wound him up a bit as well. But he needs to learn to, to keep his head a little bit better. Uh, so that's James and Kukurea banned for the Brighton game. Kukurea getting his fifth yellow card. In another world, it wouldn't matter because he could just bring Tino Liveramento and Lewis Hall in to replace them. Alas. So it is just five wins from the last 25 Premier League games for Chelsea. Um, anything else from Newcastle? Liam, I'm just looking at my notes and none of them are very positive about anybody. Gallagher's poorest game of the season. Enzo still not affecting games. Jackson and Palmer, anonymous. I mean, Raheem Sterling maybe gets some credit, but but I'm reaching a bit here. Yeah, one thing I noticed as well, and I thought I thought this was a return to the bad old ways of Chelsea in, in some respects from last season as well, in, in that they can move the ball quite nicely from one end of the pitch to the other, but they were really bad in both boxes. <laughs> really bad. But I mean, you think about the goal they scored, it's a brilliant free kick, but they, they just had no real penetration against Newcastle for the entire game. And I felt a big part of that was that Nicholas Jackson's hold-up play, you know, the the hold-up play that I was really intrigued by in pre-season and in the early weeks of this season, just seems to have completely disappeared. The ball doesn't stick to him. The ball doesn't... And he obviously, he's not, he's not the, the strongest guy yet physically and you're up against some pretty burly Newcastle centre-backs I get why that's going to be a bit of a bit of a battle but in the early weeks of the season he was able to use the frame that he does have in 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 slightly more clever ways not to really body defenders but to to sort of spin away from them and use his dribbling use his body balance to to receive the ball with his back to goal and you know lay it off really smartly flick it around the corner to runners and get Chelsea moving forward in a more dangerous way. And, uh, you know, there's never any one reason why a team struggles in one area of the pitch, but that's just something I really noticed watching that Newcastle game. And and it's been, I think, building for for a few weeks now. He, he, he should have got his confidence back in front of goal, although it was also noticeable that when he got that return pass, wasn't it from Sterling who flicked it over the top for him? And he just doesn't shoot first time. It was crying out to be volleyed across goal towards the, the bottom corner and he just takes a touch and gets smothered. He should be confident enough to take chances like that now, even if he doesn't convert them. He should be trying to be decisive. And he wasn't that. And at the same time, the rest of his game, which looks so promising early, early in the season, seems to have vanished. And if he's not providing that, then you do, I think, have to look at you know, could Armando Breuer come in and do a better job 
in the slightly longer term, in the next few weeks, can Christopher Nkunku be a genuine number nine option for Chelsea who can do more of those things? The only thing I wanted to add to the Newcastle post-mortem is just the concern, the growing concern I have of that midfield just doesn't seem right. It just doesn't seem like it's offering enough protection. It seems to be very easily bypassed. Teams are getting through them quite easily. Enzo Fernandez suddenly looks like he's running in quicksand. And neither Casado yet or Uga Chukwu have really been the answer either so far. It's early days and I, I think it, it all comes down to partnerships and developing an understanding. I, I, I think that's part to do with it. But a lot of the focus is going to inevitably be on defence because they're ultimately responsible. But I just find it very alarming how every week you just sort of see teams being able to to play through Chelsea and you, you just sort of seem to see <laughs> the defence going, oh, here they come again sort of thing. And, and there's there's very rarely a Chelsea player in front of them in sight sort of offering much protection. So it, it just feels that, you know, when Chelsea are good, they're good, but when they're bad, they're very bad. And it just sort of seems to be, yeah, Pochettino still trying to get this understanding Oh, I would say, here's my one positive, right? And I sort of touched on it earlier about not knowing what Chelsea you're going to see, etc. It does kind of make going to games a little bit, you know, interesting. You know, you sort of, last season, it, it just got so, because you knew what you were going to see every week, didn't you? It's going to be horrific football, very slow, very dull, hardly any goals and, and inevitable defeat. Now you're sort of going, even the way they lose is kind of entertaining. <laughs> so, in a weird kind of way, you know, it's still an end. Like the first half was an entertaining game of football. Actually, it was good stuff because it was end to end. The sheer carnage of, of Chelsea sort of being this work in progress means that they are they are going to be good things amongst the bad. But yeah, Pochettino's got a big week ahead of him. Train uh, and the last thing I say about that Newcastle game it reminded me. I wonder if. The real negative part of me was thinking, was that Pochettino's Brighton game a week before they played Brighton? But it was very reminiscent of the 4-1 at Brighton, even though that was a disaster from the very first minute. But the sort of sheer calamity of it yeah, brought back memories of Brighton, which I was also at. So lucky old me. Yeah, I think the hope is that Maurizio Pochettino is a bit better place to turn it around than, than maybe Graham Potter was. The real hope, Matt, is that I'm at the Brighton game, not Simon. <laughs> and we, we have to really talk about the way Chelsea play when Simon's there and I'm not because it's becoming a really troubling pattern. There is another positive, which is that that game against Brighton comes, what, 48 hours after they have played AK Athens away. So a big week of travel for Brighton. That ought to work in Chelsea's favour. They've got a free week on the training ground to try and put right everything that went wrong on Saturday. All right, next, we'll talk about the women's team. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Martin Kennerud can deliver in and Chelsea will look for another and they have it too well it's a scoreline that perhaps flatters them as Aggie Beaver-Jones gets on the score sheet again for Chelsea well thank the Lord for Chelsea FCW frankly the sanctuary amongst the shonkiness that's been these past three years Emma Hayes heroes Larrap Leicester at Kings Meadow on Sunday. Chelsea stay three points clear at the top of the WSL after a 5-2 victory, which once again saw Lauren James star. Chelsea playing all the hits here. James scoring twice. Neve Charles with another assist. Sam Kerr with a goal. And Aggie Beaver-Jones also finding the net. Uh, five in five league games for Aggie Beaver-Jones. Only a teenager. Liam, I think it's nice to see a Cobham kid shining in the women's team because we talk about it a lot for the men's team, don't we? I know Lauren James started at Chelsea, but she really made a reputation elsewhere. Aggie Beaver-Jones sounds like she could be on Made in Chelsea. She was Made in Chelsea and she's knocking on the door to start every week at the moment. Well, I think it has been something that Emma Hayes and Paul Green have placed greater emphasis on in the last few years. Their recruitment policy and the success of their recruitment policy has gotten most of the attention. But I think they have also been trying to acquire some of the best young talent in the women's game, but also really build out their infrastructure at Cobham with the girls' teams to develop their own talent and I think try to make... I'm sure the ultimate goal is to is to try and make the conveyor belt of young female talent coming out of Cobham as good as the male talent has been over the last 10 years. And maybe, maybe this is the start of of seeing that. The other problem is that, I mean, and this has been an issue on the Chelsea men's team in recent years as well, though maybe not so much right now, is that when the standard of the first team is so high, when they're winning every week and they've got a squad full of senior international stars, it's even more difficult for Cobham graduates to get minutes let alone to make the kind of impact that Aggie Beaver-Jones has made. So it's a it's a really nice, not entirely expected subplot to Chelsea's season. But it, it would also be, in some ways, I think, a very nice storyline to, to develop in what we now know will be Emma Hayes' last season. Because it would be a really nice legacy, I think, if in addition to everything else she's done at Chelsea, if she really leaves an academy system that is finally starting to bear fruit for the first team. Simon, I believe if you look in the dictionary this Monday morning, uh, head to D and go to Dink, there might very well be a picture of Lauren James' second goal there. I mean, this is getting ridiculous, isn't it? She's unbelievable. The, the composure she's got in front of goal and the variety of the goals she scored in the last couple of weeks is so impressive. Well, firstly, I wondered where you were going there when you... <laughs> Coming to me, talking about words beginning with D. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> Delight? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah, no, she, she's in a ridiculous um, 
run of form following up her first hat trick. That the sublime assist in in the Champions League, Sam Kerr, and then yes, another two goals. But the the there was never any doubt. Unlike uh, when you're watching the Chelsea men's team and the players running through on goal, um, and you're thinking, "Oh, will they? Won't they?" Lauren James, when she was running through, you just sort of felt, "Yeah, this is only going to go." in the back of the net, but it was still the, the classy nature of the finish. Majestic, and she's certainly out... I, I'm always reluctant to sort of talk about the brother-sister, but she's, she's certainly outshining her brother at the moment. I wonder who's going to play more games for Chelsea when we get to the end of their careers. Huh. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a very valid point, and not just for, for fitness reasons. Um, I'll just leave that there. But yeah, no, and, and and Chelsea look, they're they're. It feels to me like they're usually playing the women's team are usually sort of playing some form of catch up, because maybe they've like lost the first game of the season or whatever. But they're setting a rather ridiculous pace, and their rivals must be a bit alarmed in the, in the manner in which Chelsea have started this campaign. And I don't know whether they have called it the last dance. Hello, the Michael Jordan documentary, but it is surely going to be another motivation for them to win another title. Yeah, going for five in a row. There's an international break now. As it stands at the top of the WSL, Chelsea, as I say, three points ahead of Arsenal. They played eight, won seven, drawn one, lost naught, scored 28, conceded seven. So a goal difference of plus 21. Arsenal's is only plus 12. You'll never guess who they're playing next, listener. That's right. It's Arsenal away on the 10th of December. Massive game, that one. Uh, Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the under-18s beat Blackburn 3-1 in the Premier League Cup at Cobham on Saturday. means they've qualified for the knockout stages of that competition after winning their first three group games. Jimmy J. Morgan, Donnell McNeely and an own goal got the job done there. Uh, The under-21s didn't play. They have a friendly against Strasbourg on Tuesday. All right, before we go, a reminder from me that you can sign up for The Athletic. The £1 a month offer is still on athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to join. If you'd like to leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, that helps other Chelsea supporters find the show too. Simon, we've spoken about your match piece on Maurizio Pochettino, but you also contributed to a, a joint read on the game as well. Yeah, so... During the match, you know, we, we we try and sort of pick out some things as well that we so we can release a piece on the on the whistle because Chelsea's such a big team, regardless of how they're playing. We want to provide as much content about it as possible. And yes, uh, Raheem Sterling was was one of the subjects I picked out simply because I still thought the free kick was yeah there was another positive to take from it, which uh, Liam's already mentioned. And in light of his latest England snub. And the way England performed, I hasten to add, during the international break, they didn't have players with that kind of inspiration. I just thought it was worthy of highlighting. He does seem to be, you have to say, he has been one of Chelsea's best players this season. He's scoring goals. And whilst he didn't maintain that level of performance in in the second half like everyone else, I still think that Chelsea fans should be fairly happy with the way he's playing, especially compared to last season where... I'm sure a lot of them would have written him off as someone that had just come to Chelsea for a healthy paycheck and a and a comfortable retirement. 
Lovely stuff. Um, do check that out. Liam, we didn't get to plug your piece with Christopher and Kunku. My God, this guy better be the best striker the world has ever seen. He's been incredibly hyped up because of what's been going on in his absence. Tell us a bit more about the piece and how he's going to save Chelsea's season. <laughs> well, the the piece was written through a slightly different prism because it was before the the shambles at St. James's when the picture looked substantially brighter and it was more, everyone's playing so well, where is Christopher Nkunku going to fit in? Um, it was more reflecting on the fact that the the Chelsea team that was being built around Nkunku in the US was a very, very different team in terms of not just personnel, but the way it actually worked to the Chelsea team we're seeing now, where Nkunku was playing a lot off the left wing, coming inside and allowing Ben Chilwell to just roam the entire flank. Of course, he got injured, then Chilwell got injured. And the the Chelsea team that Pochettino has ended up with in their absence is almost a mirror image of that, where you now have Cole Palmer coming in off the right, acting as the de facto brain of the attack with Reese James as the fullback, given the license to go forward. And so the question really is, it's not whether Nkunku is going to play, because we know he's going to play. He's a big enough talent and he's, his stature within the squad and within the wage structure is such that he has to play and have a prominent role. But it's more about where that is and how Pochettino tries to assimilate and maximise him without necessarily sacrificing some of the good things that have been developing in Chelsea's attack recently. And as referenced earlier, not many of them were on display against Newcastle. But, you know, Cole Palmer's been really good. Sterling has been very consistent by and large. And Jackson's at least been scoring more goals recently. So there there are there are questions about where Nkunku would be best. He is going to play and it's maybe not a question that Pochettino will have to answer in the next couple of weeks. But it'll be a different sort of challenge for him than just firefighting players getting injured, which is what has been a large part of the first half of this season. Fingers crossed. Um, Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up. If you aren't currently a subscriber, if you're quick about it, you can get in while the pound a month deal is still on. All right, that's going to do it for us today. We will be back on Thursday looking ahead to the Brighton game and plenty more besides. Join us for that if you can. Until then, thanks to Liam, to Simon and to Lucy and to you for joining us, listener. Back with you later in the week. Bye for now. The Athletic.